This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Welcome to Sailing and Cruising the East Coast of the United States podcast. I'm Bela Musitz. And I'm Mike Wasserman. This is our podcast about sailing the East Coast of the United States. In some episodes, we'll focus on passages and destinations. In other episodes, we talk about boats, equipment, and techniques. And when we come across an interesting person, we'll try to get them as a guest on the show. Now, what makes this podcast unusual is that only one of us sails. And that would be me, Bela. I've been sailing for over 30 years, not across oceans, but on lakes and coastal cruising on the east coast of the United States. And I, Mike, know very little about sailing. As a matter of fact, I don't know why some buoys are red and some are green, and I always confuse port and starboard, although I can taste the difference between red port and white port with my eyes closed. I mean, gosh, what's the old saying? Red wine in the morning, sailors take warning? I don't know. But anyways, I digress a little bit. But it should be clear that I'll ask most of the questions, and Bela will try to answer them as best he can. Yeah, well, I'll try to do the best I can, Mike. Um... And your sailing is perfect, right? Red wine in the morning, sailors take warning. If you're drinking red wine in the morning, that's probably not a good sign. Exactly. My thoughts. My thoughts precisely. Yeah. So, hey, before we dive into this episode, uh, we need to say thank you to our supporters. We do this podcast because we enjoy making every episode just for you, our listeners. Several listeners have made a monthly financial contribution to support the podcast and help defray the cost of producing these episodes. You know what? And a special thanks to our most recent supporter, Mark. Thank you, Mark. At the request of several listeners, we now have a Patreon page. So supporting the podcast is super easy. Just go to patreon.com forward slash sailing the east. Thanks again to you, our listeners, and a special thanks to all of our supporters. Now, Bela, it's been a while since we've last talked, and I know you've been out on the boat lately while well, I've been exploring some of the great cities of Europe by foot. Uh, tell me, where have you sailed in the last month or so since we last talked? Yeah, we have spent a lot of time on the boat this summer. Uh, you know, I actually did a solo trip uh, in late July for several days. Uh, it was my first sort of extended solo outing. Uh, I got home on August 1st. And then Elaine and I went back to the boat on August 12th, and we were on the boat until September 1st. So it was our sort of longest continuous stay on the boat. Uh, I think it was three weeks to the day. Uh, and uh, every several days, we would have some guests. So there'd be some guests on the boat uh, for three or four days, and they would leave. Then it'd just be Elaine and I for a couple days, and then we'd have some other guests. Um, and so that was really nice. Nice. Quite the social calendar. It's kind of cool when you can use the boat in that way to kind of host people. But what about your family? I know that was the plan, and I assume you saw a lot of them. 
Oh, we sure did. Uh, yeah, and that was really great. Um, our first set of guests uh, was our son, his wife, and their 15-month-old daughter uh, who came on the boat for three days and three nights. So this was the first time that they've done an overnight on the boat, actually three of them in a row. And uh, prior to that, they'd been sailing a fair amount. Uh, last summer, when she was just, you know, three and four months old, they brought her on the boat. Uh, and now she's, you know, 15 months old and ambulatory, meaning she's walking. Uh, so, you know, they uh, we, we had a really, really great time. And um, so it was sort of an interesting experience, you know, having an infant or a baby uh, you know, on the boat 24 hours for, for three days in a row. That's cool. I didn't realize they hadn't been on an overnight sail yet. I know they'd been on the boat a lot. What did your, what did your trip look like, Bela? Well, so it's really interesting, right? So, uh, the first day, uh, we sailed for about three hours. Uh, then we spent the night at a, a different Marina than our Marina. And then the second day we sailed again for three or four hours. Uh, and then we went to a different Marina and then the third day, uh, we sailed again for three or four hours uh, and headed home and spent that night at our sort of home base, home home marina. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. So the, one of the great things about Narragansett Bay is that you can get to other places in two or three or four hours. So everything is really close. So you can put together this nice itinerary without having to spend, you know, 12 hours getting from point A to point B. Because, uh, you know, sailboats don't go all that fast. You know, we're going five or six miles an hour. So uh, you can't cover a lot of distance. So that that worked out really well. Nice. What were some of the lessons you learned with your 15-month-old granddaughter slash first mate on board? <laughs> yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. Well, number one, everything revolves around her schedule. <laughs> <laughs> so ev everybody's life, uh, the four adults on the boat, our lives revolve around the schedule of our 15 month old. Uh, so she wakes up around six 30. Uh, the good news is she sleeps really well. She sleeps through the night. So, you know, that's, that's really good. She typically takes a nap, uh, around 10 or 10 30. So if she's up at six 30, takes a nap at 10, 10 30 until around noon. Uh, and then what we do is as soon as she wakes up from her nap, we then go sailing because now we have about three or four hours uh, before she, you know, starts getting tired and she was in a actually transition from going to, from two naps a day to one nap a day, uh, while we were out on the boat. So her schedule was not as predictable, uh, as it typically was, but it sort of worked out. So that was what we did, right? So she'd wake up from her morning nap around noonish. Uh, we'd push off from the dock. Uh, we'd have lunch while we were sailing. Um, and, uh, we'd sail for till about three or four o'clock. And, uh, then we pull into a marina, uh, have some dinner and by seven o'clock she's in bed, uh, sleeping. So, you know, that, that was sort of our schedule. Nice. How does she do when you're under sail, when you're, when you're moving? Yeah. So this was really good. It was, it was, it was put a smile on my face. You know, she loves the boat. And uh, she loves exploring all these new nooks and crannies and things. So now that she kind of walks around, you know, you can put her down in the cabin uh, and she can explore the salon. And, and, and interesting enough, the boat is already baby-proofed, right? <laughs> because 
you you sort of have to put things away because when you're sailing, the boat leans over. So there's not a lot of loose stuff hanging out places. And all of the drawers and cabinets on a boat latch. So there's a little button you have to push. It depends on the boat, but on our boat, there's a button you push, and that button pops out, and then you can open the drawer, you can open the cabinet. So it's already baby-proofed, right? Because I can remember when our kids were small, we had to do all the kitchen cabinets. We had to put latches on them and stuff. So the boat already comes baby-proofed. So that was kind of neat. Um, and this worked really well when we were docked. Uh, when we're out sailing, you know, she's just starting to learn how to walk. So she's still a little unsteady on dry land. And now you put her on a boat that's moving. So so walking was sort of a challenge for her. So that pretty much, much meant that she was, you know, either sitting down uh, or someone was was holding her. But the, my son figured out this uh, clever thing. They They do a lot of bicycle riding with her. So they have a little bicycle seat for her that bolts onto the back of one of their bicycles. And then she can sit in that seat. You know, she's strapped in with her helmet and stuff and they can ride their bikes. So my son figured out how to adopt, adapt this bicycle to bolt onto the boat uh, in, in the cockpit. So she, we now have this bicycle seat that bolts, bolts to the pedestal in the cockpit and we put her in that. So she's sitting up high. She can see things going all around her, right? Other boats and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so that works really great. It's a wonderful perch for her kind of sitting up there. And she loves it for about an hour, right? And then after an hour, she's tired of it. And then and then we play pass the baby around, <laughs> <laughs> right? You know, so that's that's sort of how that went. But it was great. Nice. I love the engineering engineered solution, right? For the yeah. baby. That's pretty yeah. cool. So I assume you stay, you said, you mentioned you stayed at marinas are, I guess, two questions. One are some marinas more kid friendly than others. And then the second question would be like, how do you find these? Yeah. Yeah. So the good news is around Narragansett Bay and pretty much all of New England, there's lots of marinas and our marina is actually part of a private equity roll up. So uh, there's a, a private equity company that has been purchasing a, a bunch of marinas. And most of these, all the marinas are traditionally small, independently owned, family owned. Uh, there's a few marinas that might, you know, own a few companies that might own two or three marinas. But I think Safe Harbor, which is the, the name of the firm that's buying up these marinas, I think now owns something like 30 or 40 marinas. Uh, mostly on the east coast of the United States with a fairly high concentration of them in, in New England. So, and I would say probably a third of the marinas on Narragansett Bay and sort of the surrounding area are owned by Safe Harbor. So the good part of that is, since the marina I'm at, uh, my home base marina, is a Safe Harbor marina, I get 12 free nights at any other Safe Harbor marina. So I can go there for free. And you might ask, well, how much can it be to go to a marina? <laughs> well, a marina, particularly in New England, New England's pretty pricey. It ranges from 4 to $8 a foot per night. So a 45-foot boat at 8 bucks a foot, <laughs> you can see it's like a nice hotel room, <laughs> right? Now, the boat's nice. But, you know, most hotel rooms are more spacious than my boat. <laughs> uh, 
So it's pretty expensive to go from marina to marina. Now, you know, that includes the dock, it includes electricity, it includes water, showers, uh, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but still, it's pretty pricey. So it's a really nice benefit of being part of this safe harbor family, corporate family, that I, I get to use 12 nights for free. And I just got a, a letter from them saying that next year it's going to be unlimited. So, wow. yeah. Now, there are some blackout periods, as you would expect. You know, there's are some uh, at, like Newport Harbor, where there, I think there's one safe harbor marina in Newport. Basically, the whole summer season, it's blacked out. You, you just can't go there. Right. I, I understand that. Makes I get sense. that. Right. Yeah. So that was cool. So we were able to put together a string of these three nights at Safe Harbor Marinas. Uh, and the other nice thing is these marinas are pretty nice. Uh, you know, they all have pool. I shouldn't say they all. Most of them have pools. All the ones we, we went to had pools. Uh, so that's always good for, you know, kids love to swim. And uh, there's a nice grassy area. You can get off the boat. There's places you can walk around. And they have all the other things that you would expect in marina, right? They have, you know, really nice shower facilities. Most of them have a laundry, you know, washer, dryer that you can do laundry and that type of stuff. Uh, so, yeah, that works out really well. So that's sort of how the marinas thing goes. And and they're they're quite nice. Nice. So definitely this, uh, you know, again, I know that it's not cheap to to have your boat at the marina like you have. But this seems like a really interesting benefit. And, you know, we've talked on our other podcast. We can put a plug in for that about kind of the the benefits and costs of private equity and some of the problems there. But this is a case um, where to have a, a group of marinas that are related and you get those shared benefits is something that's interesting, I think, for people to think about. Neat. So, okay, I want to change the subject a little bit. And you told me you wanted to kick off a short mini series on solo sailing. You, in the open, you talked about how you did your first solo sail, which is really uh, scary sounding to me, of course, but you know, you're the expert and I'm interested. So how do you want to organize this mini series? Yeah. So I, I think what we're going to do is I want to do a three part mini series and it may not be consecutive, but it'll be three parts. Today we'll do part one, which will be about docking, uh, which is, you know, how to get your boat in and out of the marina or the dock. Uh, then part two, I want to do about anchoring and picking up a mooring. And then part three, sort of managing, managing sales and actually sailing by yourself. Right. So the first two parts about are sort of about getting underway, right? Getting away from the dock or anchoring or get, picking up a mooring or leaving a mooring. And then part three will be about actually sailing. So that's, that's sort of what I'm thinking about. Sounds great, Bela. So let's dive in getting into and out of the dock solo. Yeah. So let me just kick the series off. Let me just start that, uh, a broad overview of my version of solo sailing, right? There's a lot of people who solo sail and, and, and to, to, to me, solo sailing is sailing around Narragansett Bay. It's, and, and, you know, Long Island Sound and Buzzards Bay. Uh, it's all close to shore. Uh, there's lots of things to be aware of. Uh, so you always need to be alert. Uh, and this is one of the challenges of solo sailing, particularly in these crowded, confined areas. Right? I can't go, I can't leave the helm and go down below for 10 minutes uh, to make a sandwich <laughs> and come back up because in 10 minutes, there's just too many boats around, right? There's just too many things to hit. So it's very different than being 10 miles offshore where there's nothing out there. You can, you can see that there's nothing out there. 
and then you can go below for 10 minutes and, and you know, uh, make a sandwich or go to the bathroom or do whatever you might need to do. So th this is this is about sailing, coastal, in-bay sailing. Uh, there's no overnight passages here, right? Solo, I don't know how people do it. I don't know how people can sail 24 hours a day. Uh, and fundamentally, you can't do it legally because you're always supposed to have someone on watch. <laughs> so, you know, people talk about 20-minute naps, you know, looking at the radar and they can see if there's anything out there and they know how fast the boat goes, blah, blah, blah. And I, I just need my sleep. So that just doesn't work for me. So this is about solo sailing around Narragansett Bay. And I'm sort of focusing on what I think are the challenging things about solo sailing. That is docking, anchoring, picking up a mooring, and managing your sails. Those are, those are the fundamental challenging things. Um, and, you know, we've had the boat now for, this is our third summer on the boat. Uh, and it's taken me this long to figure this stuff out. And, and, uh, so, you know, I've been working on this for quite a while, not necessarily because I only use it solo sailing. I will say that many of the things that I've learned in trying to figure how to do them by myself, I also is the same exact way I do it when there's other people on board. I may take a, a, a small thing that I do and assign it to somebody else and say, Hey, do this because now it can be done in parallel, uh, instead of in series. But, you know, I learned a lot of good stuff and, you know, it's taken me a while to figure out what works and what doesn't work. Uh, and, I, and a lot of these things are sort of tailored to how my boat is laid out because each boat is different. So certain things are possible in certain boat designs that you can't do in other boat designs or other boat layouts. So this is also very sort of specific to my boat. And I, I want to kick it off with docking because I think docking is one of the high stress things boaters do, period. It doesn't matter how many people you have on the boat, right? Because you're coming into a confined quarter. It's like parallel parking a car, right? And, and it just takes a while. Once you figure it out, you can pretty much do it, uh, but it takes a while to figure it out. So, yeah, that's, that's so how do you the preamble. Yeah. So, Bela, really interesting. So, like driving, I mean, I get the driving and parallel parking analogy, right? And you take the car out and you you practice, right? You find an empty parking lot and you go. And I remember doing this with my dad when I was 16, right? And we kept doing it until I didn't screw it up anymore. How do you do this on a 45-foot sailboat? Exactly the same way, Mike. I okay. don't do it solo. So I have other people there. So I try out these new ideas uh, when I have other people on the boat. So if something doesn't go as planned, I have extra hands on board, right? Because the challenge is when you're by yourself, if something go, doesn't go as planned, sometimes you have to be at two places at once. And that's really hard <laughs> when you're by yourself. But if you have other people, right? So I work all of these things out sort of with other people on board. And then I actually practice them with other people on board. And I say, don't do anything unless I ask you to do something. So I work it out that way. So it's very analogous to going out with, you know, your parent to learn how to drive or to learn how to parallel park or make your three-point turn or any of those things you have to do for a driving test, right? And I start, start it easy, right? I do it when it's calm. And there's not a lot of wind. <laughs> I I do it in in places I'm familiar with. I do it in my home marina. <laughs> you 
you know, where, where, or I'll, I'll go to a slip that's extra wide. So I have a lot of extra space. The equivalent of the empty parking lot, right? The you find some place exactly. where there's not a lot of traffic and yeah. Right. Right. And you know, I, it took me a while to sort of figure out how to take advantage of the design of the boat and the layout of my boat. So my boat has a, what's called a walkthrough transom. So the back of the boat, the stern of the boat has a little gate on it and I can step right from the cockpit onto the dock. It's the, so that's about the same height. So I don't have to climb over anything to get on and off the boat. So that makes bringing the boat to the dock, what's called stern two. So stern, you know, back, back, back into the dock really easy because I can get off the boat. I don't have to jump over the side of the boat to get to the dock. So I take advantage of that. My boat also has two midship cleats. So a cleat is a thing that you can tie a line to, right? So there's cleats on the dock that you can tie your line to, and there's cleats on the boat. And my boat actually has four cleats on a side. It has one at the bow. It has one just a little bit forward of, of the middle of the boat, one just a little bit behind the middle of the boat, and one at the back. So there's a lot of places for me to have have ropes, even though it's 45 feet long, and that's a long way to run from one end to the other, right? I have other places I can grab things uh, to help secure the boat when I'm when I'm coming into dock. So uh, <clears throat> the docks that we go at, most of the docks in New England are floating docks, which means the dock is always at the same level to your boat. <clears throat> in other words, the tide goes up or down, the dock floats just like your boat floats. In other parts of the country, particularly where there's lower tide level changes, like down in the Chesapeake, where there's maybe one foot to a foot and a half of difference in tide, they don't have floating docks. <laughs> uh, where we are, we have six feet of tide, so the docks are floating. So that makes it a little, again, I tailor this to, to that particular circumstance of how I do it. Um, so uh, on my slip, I have, uh, so there's a dock at the back of the boat. That's sort of the main dock. It's sort of the main runway for the dock. And then there's fingers that come off of this. And between those fingers is where your boat goes. And the way the docks are set up at, at this marina and many marinas, uh, you will have a finger on just one side of your boat. So there's there's the, there's a finger that goes out. There'll be a boat next to it. There'll be another boat, and then there'll be another finger. So one boat has the finger on starboard side, and the other boat next to it has the finger on port side. Right. So the way we are is the finger is on my port side. Uh, I have two. Uh, so that makes it really nice because my boat has two steering wheels, one on port, one on starboard, but the throttle is on port. So the throttle is on the same side that my finger is on. And this finger is what I tie the boat to. <laughs> okay. Right. So, um, the other thing I did, it took me a while to figure this out is I have two big, large round. They're probably two feet in diameter, uh, fenders, bumpers, uh, they look like big balloons, but they're, you know, really strong that I, I hang from the back of my boat from the stern. So I can basically back the boat right up against the dock because I'm coming in reverse. 
right? Mm -hmm. So think about, you know, you're backing into your garage mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and, and you place some big pillows <laughs> against the wall, the wall of the garage, right? right? So, you don't so that when you back in, right. right, you, you, you know, when you're far enough. So you're I have these... in your living room. Exactly. Right. right? Same thing. Um, uh, and that, what that lets me do is that actually lets me put the boat in reverse idle and the boat will kiss up against the dock and it'll just stay there. Right? Wait, I can so, actually un all untie right. all the lines and the boat, unless there's a strong wind from, you know, one side or the other boat will just stay there. Okay. So you actually have the propeller in reverse at a low speed, right? And it just kind of pushes up That's right. against that the, with the bumpers against the dock. That's right. And, okay. and, and the boat will just sit there, right? Which, which it, it took me a while to figure this out. You might say, oh, that's obvious. Well, it wasn't obvious to me. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so I can put the boat in reverse idle and the boat will just sit there, put, kissed up against the dock. And, and just because of the way everything's lined up, there's no currents pushing it left or right, whatever. Uh, so that gives me time to do stuff, right? So nice. I can, I can, I can put the boat, uh, let's say when I'm leaving the dock, what I can do is I, first of all, I have a checklist. So I go over a whole bunch of stuff, right? I make sure my bow thruster, I have a bow thruster on this boat, which is basically a propeller at the front of the boat, which will move the boat, the front of the boat left or right, which is very helpful. You know, I make sure all my seacocks are open, blah, 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 blah. Um, and the boat's ready to go. I start the engine and I let it warm up. Um, and then after it warms up for a few minutes, I put it in reverse idle and the boat will just hold itself up against the dock. Uh, and then I can get off the boat and I can re start removing some of the various different lines that hold the boat to the dock. And, uh, I have a particular order. I do these in, I remove the spring lines first. Um, and then, um, once I have that done, I remove the port, uh, stern line. So now I'm just attached to two lines. I'm still in reverse. Mm -hmm. And what I do is I walk out to the end of my finger I look up what's called the fairway, which is sort of the, the road that boats come in and out on. And I, I actually, uh, our, our dock is in the same fairway, as they call this road, uh, as the fuel dock. So we get a fair amount of traffic. So I run out to the end of my finger. <laughs> I look in the direction of where the boats are coming from and make sure there's no boats coming. And if it's clear, then I undo the bow line. I throw it on the boat. I run back. I undo the stern line, I hop on the boat and I put it in forward and I zip right out. It works really, really well. And the, the key discovery here for me was this notion of the big round fenders on the back of the boat. You know, I have them sort of at the port and starboard corners of the, of the stern so that they, they help square the boat. And when it's in reverse, they help square the boat up against the dock and, and that that really, really works well for me. Nice. And it's literally like you're in a holding pattern and that gives you the time and the space to, to do what you gotta do. That's right. Without and stress. Exactly. So that's how I leave. Now coming back to the dock, it's exactly, it's the reverse, same process. So I, I, I back into the slip and I have those big round fenders there at the stern and I come in nice and slow. I can kiss the boat up against the dock put it in reverse idle and it'll just hold it there. And 
the, the times that I have a challenge is, so the, my boat faces north-south, just the way the docks line up. The prevailing wind is from the south, uh, and my stern is facing south, which is perfect. That, that works really well. If the wind is from the east, which is pretty rare, that's fine because it pushes me against the finger, so that's okay. And if you've got wind, bumpers there too, so there's no, bumper, no risk exactly. of anything. Right. That's right. I got fenders there, so that's that works well. If the wind is from the north, uh, I have to be careful that it doesn't swing my bow left or right. So I, I before I jump off the boat, you know, to tie up a line, I got to make sure my bow is in good position. The challenge is... Do you is, fix the tiller? Do you have to fix the tiller and hold it fast so it doesn't move? Or the, the tiller makes the no difference. Big enough? Okay. Yeah, that, so so the 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 tiller, uh, which controls the rudder, I don't have a tiller. I actually have a wheel, uh, okay. uh, which controls the rudder. The rudder is only effective when the boat is moving. Water has to be right. flowing over the rudder for it to do anything. And when I'm sitting there, the rudder there's nothing is use, useless. It's to just me. it's just wind that would blow the boat, right? That's, That's all right. you have to worry it's, about. It's, it's wind, underneath. pretty much, right? Yeah. And the tide goes. The tide runs north-south, so there's no side current for me with the tide. Okay. It's the east. When I have get a wind from the west, that's when I have to be extra careful because that blows me away from the finger and into the boat that's next boat to me. next door. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. So that's that's the one that's a little more challenging. Yeah. Interesting. Now, okay, this is great because, you know, you're, you're – you're, always on the same finger you always know which wh 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 where where you're situated and where the winds are what happens when you go to a new marina yeah that's a good question so um you know one thing i i, I did want to say that that i use this uh application called dakwa for making reservations so, so someone came up with a great idea right it's the same idea make a reservation as a hotels <laughs> it's like hotels.com Mm -hmm. uh, it's Dakwa, and you can make reservations at various different marinas. And that's a great app. It works really well. Uh, not all marinas are on it, but boy, I highly recommend it. It's it's D O C K W A, um, and and you can plan out a nice trip with that. Um, so that that works really well. So what I do is I I, I make a reservation with Dakwa, and in there you can put comments, and and I always ask if possible. I would like a, a slip where I can do back in, so I can do stern two. Uh, and sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't, because it just depends upon the space they have, right? So sure. it, it's always unpredictable. But here's the things I always do, and I do this whether I'm solo or not, but when I'm solo, I especially do it. I, I call them up on the radio when I'm about 10 minutes away. And you know, I say, hey, I have a reservation for tonight. Can you tell me where the slip is sort of located? Give me an idea uh, where in the marina and sort of its configuration, right? Will I be t will I be tying up on the port side? Will I be tying up on the starboard side? I want to come in uh, stern two. And and they, they'll they know what slip I'm going. So they give me that information. So that gives me time to get the lines prepped and ready. So I may, you know, put the fenders out on the proper side, get the lines all ready. Uh, and I also tell them that I'm coming in solo. And and when they hear that, <laughs> they will almost always send two people down to help you catch lines. 
Yeah. So because they it easy don't want yourself. you to struggle. Exactly. exactly. Right. They don't want you to struggle either. And I always make it a point, you know, not to get there after they're closed. I, I plan my trips in such a way. I, I don't want to make this thing any more difficult on myself than it is. Right. I do this to relieve tension, not cause it. So I don't want to do things that add tension to the whole thing. So I always call them up and I say, Hey, um, I'm coming in solo. And they always say, great. We'll send, you know, we'll send it two people down to catch lines for you. And, uh, so prep is really important. I talked about going over my checklist before I depart a slip. The same thing is true when I'm coming in Are my fenders out right on the proper side. So what I do with my lines, so I have a, a line that's attached to the cleat at the bow of the boat. Well, the bow of the boat's narrow. So the bow of the boat is like four or five feet away from the dock, even when I'm as close to it as I can get. You can't reach the line. And since I'm solo, I can't throw it to anybody, right? If you're coming in and there's two people on the boat, you typically have a person at the bow and they will throw that line to a person on the dock. Can't throw it. So what I do is I take that line and I drape it over my lifelines. So the lifelines are sort of these cables that run fore and aft on the boat. They're about two and a half, three feet high, and they're sort of there to prevent you from falling overboard. And uh, so I, I sort of flake them over those lifelines. And I, as I do that, I have nice long dock lines and I bring it towards the middle of the boat where the boat's wider and it's much closer to the closer, dock. Yeah. So a person can actually reach those, if they're standing on the dock, they can actually reach that rope and grab it, reach that line and grab it. Or you can too, if you've gotten out, right? Or, or when I'm coming in solo, exactly. Right. When I'm coming in solo, I do the same exact thing. So when I get off the boat, as I walk up the finger, I can grab that bow line, which is the end of it is now at, at middle of the boat it, right. it, at the midship. Right. So I can grab it because nice and close to the dock. So that's another thing that, you know, I sort of took me a while to figure out. So I flake the lines out uh, in the bow that way. Uh, I have the spring lines, which are the ones that sort of are attached to various other different cleats, which are really not important for getting the boat into the dock immediately, but they're all reachable. And I have the stern line right next to me uh, at the wheel. So when I, I can just, when I hop off the boat, I can grab that line and take it with me uh, and tie up the stern. So I also watch, so in, in, in addition to getting ready like this, I also watch what the wind direction is and which way the wind is going to be pushing me when I'm coming in uh, to the slip. Most of the time, there's not a lot of current to worry about. The main thing is wind. Uh, and so I, I sort of take that into, so I, I, I back into the slip as best I can. I let those big round fender, fenders kiss the dock. I put the boat into reverse, right? And it just holds itself there. Uh, it keeps it nice and square. Before I get off the boat, I check the bow to make sure the bow's not drifting left or right. And if it looks good, I grab that stern line, which is right next to me. I step off my boat through the opening at the stern. I tie up that stern line real quick to a cleat. And then I look forward again to make sure the bow's not drifting away. If the bow's not drifting left or right, if it is drifting uh, away from the, the finger, then I'll hop back on the boat and I'll give it a burst of bow thruster to push it back over close to the finger. 
then I'll hop off the boat, walk up to the front, walk up to the middle of the boat, grab that line that I flaked along the lifelines, grab that and secure the bow line to the bow cleat on the dock. Now I'm set. The boat's not going to go anywhere, right? And 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 so now I, I can sort of relax, adjust the lines, put on my spring lines. I can turn off the engine, and I can I can sort of relax and have a beverage. Right? And and again, uh, hopefully you know without visual aids here, people can understand what I'm talking about. Uh, but this has taken me a while to figure it out. And I think that the big lessons are, you know, this it's taken me sort of two years to figure this out. Uh, and and sort of do these when there's someone else on board. And if it's another experienced person, that's even more helpful because together you'll come up with good ideas. And, you know, I tried all sorts of different things when I first started this. There's these things called docking sticks, which are a, a stick that you can attach your dock line to and sort of as you're going by the cleat, you can clip it onto the cleat and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, with certain boats and certain docking configurations, you may have to do that. Um, but I was able to figure this out given the layout of my boat and the docks that I go to, uh, that it works really well. So you kind of need to work out what works for you. This is cool. It's, 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 you know, the engineer in you has a system and you try to make sure that you can replicate that system with as little variance as possible, right? With, with as little wasted energy and time as possible. And if you can do that, all right, then you've got a pretty good chance, a high probability of success, right? Every yeah. time. Yeah. Because the cost of failure is kind of high, right? It, it is. The cost of failure is high. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you don't, you don't want to run into things. And like I said, even under normal conditions, when you have three or four people on the boat, docking is one of the high stress things that people anguish over. And just like anything else, like pra practicing parallel parking or practicing backing into your garage, you got to practice. Yeah. And of course, right, every sailor and every sailboat's going to have a different way of doing this, right? And what you said, some of these things might be somebody might say, hey, great, I want to try that. And they'd be like, there's no way that would work for me. Right. So it really is just this kind of personal configuration. If you moved to a different um, a different part of the country or you get a, get a new boat, you got to kind of go, go through this whole process again as you develop your, your solo sailing techniques. That's absolutely right. Absolutely right. Right. And different boats notoriously back up differently it's not you know most cars sort of go in reverse sort of about the same yeah <laughs> yeah if you have a big car it's a little different than a small car but boats some boats don't back up back they do not go in reverse in a straight line worth of crap <laughs> and and others do much better my boat does pretty good so it, it does have what's called prop walk so if it's in reverse the, and you're going slowly, it will tend to drift. The, the, the stern of the boat will tend to drift towards port. So you need to sort of take that into account. But each boat is different, right? But you made a very good point, right? Different boat, you got to come up with new techniques. But you can build upon what you learned, right? You build upon these things. Right. And, oh, this worked for me at this time, and then I can adapt it and build it into your system, essentially. Yep. Yep, exactly. Interesting. Well, this was cool, Bela. Thanks to for sharing this. Uh, you know, I found it fascinating, and hopefully, a bunch of our listeners. Yeah, this is kind of cool. Um, maybe there's some people who are thinking about solo sailing who haven't yet or haven't done it in a while. But um, you know, to me, the whole idea of sailing solo is completely scary. But uh, but you know, hearing you kind of go through, yeah, I have a system, and this is how I do it, and this is how I practice, uh, makes it seem a lot more reasonable. 
What yeah. do you think? Time to wrap it up? <clears throat> yes, but I want to say one other quick thing because I just do thought it. of something while you were saying that. And that is when I come into a dock, whether I'm coming in solo or I'm coming in with people on the boat, and oftentimes other fellow boaters will come to help you dock, right? They'll come there to catch lines. And what, what I always do is I give them clear instructions. I say, go forward and Elaine will throw you the bow line and secure that to the bow cleat on the dock or the you know forward most cleat on the dock. Because otherwise, I, there's been many times people just throw you a line <laughs> and they don't mm -hmm. say anything. Mm -hmm. So always be clear what you want people to do. Because in my mind, you know, bringing the boat in, I have a certain plan in my head. So I, 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 I don't want random things happening. So when, when I go into a, and there's dock hands there, I say, okay, take this dock and attach it to the stern or take the midship cleat line and attach that there. I give them clear instructions. And I do the same thing when I'm helping people come into a dock. Uh, I say, can I help you? And they say, sure. And I ask, what would you like me to do with this line? Nice. A specific I, question. Yeah, Pro I don't assume. Discussion. It's just right? like teaching, right? Yes. Specific question. What What would you like me to do with this line? And Even and, if it's obvious. Right. Just even case, if it's obvious. Right? right. Even if it's obvious. And and then once I do that, I say, okay, the, I secured this line here. So I'll let the person at the helm know, okay, that's done. Uh, so give people, when you're coming in and you want them to do something, give them clear instructions on what you want them to do. And if you're helping people, ask them what they want you to do. So anyway, I just want to add the feedback that. and then the feedback on when it's done. Yes. Right. So that right. if they're paying attention to something else, they can hear the verbal. Yeah. Because I'm at the back of response. my boat. I can't, I don't know what's going on at the front of the boat. <laughs> it's 45 feet away. Right. I can't hear anything most of the times. Right. Right. So I can't see what's going on at the dock because the boat blocks the view. So that feedback's important as well. Yeah. Very good. Cool. Well, great, Bela. Thanks. Listeners, thanks for joining us for another episode. And we hope you found this conversation interesting and thought-provoking. And as always, if you have questions about what we've discussed, uh, feel free to get in touch with us. Our email is sailingtheeast, that's all one word, at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, hit that follow button on your favorite podcasting app. Uh, and if you know someone that would make a good guest on the show, let us know. Uh, we'd love to have them uh, as a guest. So hope to see you out there. So until next time, signing off from upstate New York. See you soon. Sounds great, Bela. Thanks and great to see you. That's it from over here in Münster, Germany. We'll see everyone next time. Mm -hmm.